Once again, to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike. One co-host, also Mike. In a moment, and we have a loaded Oscar race checkpoint as we get back into the groove and once again travel back down this Oscars road. It's October somehow. I, I can't believe that September's already. September felt like it was forty-eight hours long, Mike. It did not feel long at all. You're right. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think the whole world crashed on our heads. Mm-hmm. In a way, and yep. it wasn't like politics and all this, but just like the movie world. I feel like I've just been doing nothing but watching movies and coaching football. <laughs> you really, and, but you like emphasis on watching movies. You've mm-hmm. been watching absolutely everything that's come out. We were talking in the pre-production. You're refusing to watch things that I haven't even heard of being in production yet. Yeah, I refuse to uh, watch The Good House with Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> That's where you draw the line. That's where I draw the line. And Hellraiser. Hellraiser. I'm not going to watch Hellraiser. I'm sorry. Why? <laughs> because I saw the original one, and this one's supposed to be even yuckier. It, no, it can't It can't be more, like, gross and gory. Right? That's impossible than the first original Hell. Like, Clive Barker, that's how he made his name, was because of the Jesus wept scenes there. The yuckiness of yeah. the yucky reviews that I've heard have just made me... Ugh. I'm going to tie you down like Clockwork Orange and force you to watch that, I think. I just ha- want nothing to do with Hellraiser. But I'm <laughs> sure it'll be everybody else's uh, everybody else's cup of tea, but not mine. The pick for the season, Hellraiser. <laughs> uh, can't wait to get into that. But no, we have a loaded Oscar race checkpoint. We have trailers to go into. We have contenders to talk about. Uh, no Hellraiser in this episode. I'll, in, I mean... I guess that depends on how you feel about emancipation being dropped on our heads, but we'll get there in a second. We'll talk about Black Panther Wakanda Forever to lead this episode off. Its second trailer dropped on us just a couple days ago as we record this on the 4th, Michael. Another incredible trailer from Marvel Studios here. Uh, Obviously, you're going to get into what it meant to the zeitgeist and certainly film Twitter, but are we sure that Shiri is going to be the next Black Panther now? I mean, the slender frame in that suit, the poster has her at the center of it. It's Mm -hmm. one of those character posters. And I love how it's above and below the water. Like you got the villains all laid out below and then all of the uh, Wakandans up top. And then, I don't know, I think Angela Bassett is more in the background of this particular trailer because after the first one, I was hoping she was going to be in the suit, but I... It doesn't look like it here. I mean, I have unanswered questions, but if I don't think Angela Bassett's in the suit, but sure, he can get the suit. Angela Bassett can get the Oscar nom for supporting actress, I, okay. I think and I hope is coming out of this. But there are so many questions that I have based on these two trailers that aren't answered yet. Like, I, I'm not convinced Namor is actually the bad guy. Like, yes, I think that the Wakandans and, and the Atlanteans fight. But I don't think Namor is the big bad. I think he's being positioned way too much as a hero for my liking. In the that would be different uh, ground for Marvel to cover because whoever is the bad guy at minute 10 is always the bad guy. Right. That's at true. At minute 110 in every single one of their movies. So that's egg true. on your face. Well, I, I just I don't think it's ha- like the guy is the actor. I forget his name, but he's way too pretty. First of all, to be a, a Marvel <laughs> bad guy. He's positioned as a superhero. He's on the cover of a lot of things. He's on the poster front and center, even though he's upside down. I just don't think I think we're going to get like a Batman v Superman type of hidden bad guy. Big bad. And Richard Newby, 
was the one who pointed this out. Uh, like, I've had this thought that, man, Namor doesn't strike me as an MCU baddie. And then Richard Newby dropped his article on The Hollywood Reporter yesterday talking about how he thinks this could all be uh, a misdirect to introduce Doctor Doom finally into the MCU. Oh, which my would God. Be fantastic. And another reason to, like, go all up in arms and be even more excited for Wakanda forever. Holy shit. Yeah. I, that would be nuts. Uh, I think uh, he's getting a lot of muscle flex scenes, this villain, right yes. now, quote unquote, villain in quotes. So you might be right because the the, the, Atlantean, the Atlanteans, 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 the water people, they're fearsome. The Navi and, is what we'll call them. Basically, they're just <laughs> taking over the land. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. they're taking over uh, one little ambush at the time. You got it from the underwater. You got it from, you know, over the top of the boats. It's happening in the cities. Their spears are getting tossed around. It's, I mean, it's a case of raising the stakes exponentially because you have Angela Bassett talking about how, you know, Wakanda's lost their protector and we're mm. vulnerable. At least that's the perception of it. And then you have M'Baku talking about Namor, like killing him will risk eternal war because his people don't just view him as a ruler. They view him as a god. So, I mm-hmm. mean, this is this is a serious, for, seriously formidable foe, if, if it is him indeed. And you just got great music. You got a goosebump factory worth of, you know, two minutes of cinema mm-hmm. that we got to see here. I... I can't get over how well they're doing with this marketing and what was perhaps a dicey situation because you're dealing with an sure. unprecedented death of a, a, a of your protagonist from the last movie that got nominated for seven Oscars. Yeah, your own real like godlike figure who was uh, the lead here, the actor Chadwick Boseman, obviously. But yeah, this this movie, speaking about the effect that it had on film Twitter and people in general, and just the, the meta sense, this is going to be massive. I can't remember the last time a second trailer for a property dominated our timeline on Twitter as instantaneously and feverishly as this trailer did for Wakanda Forever. If I were to bet you right now, Mike, if I were to say a $1,000 bet right now (laughs) off of nothing, I mean, we know nothing about the movie, but just the hype that these two trailers have given and the effects they've had on people. If I were to bet you $1,000 that Wakanda Forever is going to land a minimum of six Oscar noms, including Best Picture, would you take the bet against that? Well, if I thought you had $1,000, no. I, I, <laughs> six initially struck me as a lot. Initially, it struck me when mm-hmm. I first I agree. read what, what you wrote here. And the $1,000, I fixated on that. I was like, right. I want, I want $1,000. <laughs> I would like that money in my pocket. That yeah. would be fun. But then I looked up the first film, and I forgot that it was nominated for seven. It won yeah. three. I remembered a three. But that's that's a big number for a first film. And then when you think about the greater stakes involved here, and if they if they nail those, my God, we're gonna have a huge you know, a high pedigreed first film that should build on, you know, what we what we got already with the Academy in terms of perception for the second film. And if it's a technical player, Michael, VFX, production design, costume, sound, makeup and hair, score, supporting actress, picture, that's that's eight that I just listed that are yeah. certainly in play. And then you could argue director, adapted screenplay, film editing, other performances. If this is a hit, it's going to be a big hit. And certainly with the Academy, I could see the Academy wanting to love this film going in. And if they deliver, you're right. This is but this is probably going to be a three or a ten nominee. It's not going to be anything else. Yeah. I I think that's that's probably a fair assessment. And right now, I I mean, it seems like they this is going to be hard to screw up at this point, depending on what's actually in the movie. I saw people mm-hmm. like 
high-level critics and box office pundits talking about how they think this could be on the level of what Top Gun Maverick did, which would just be, like, insane to me, seeing as that just knocked off Titanic for Paramount. Like, there are some huge, huge projections going around uh, about what they think Wakanda Forever is going to do. This is going to be a huge, just a massive player. And it leads me to thinking, like, okay, we're going to talk about the Oscars and the top ten and the Feinberg forecast, the first Feinberg forecast later on in this episode. But, like, if Top Gun Maverick is in play as a big one, if Wakanda Forever does what we expect it to do and is in play as a big one, this could be a huge year for box office favorites crowding the Oscars landscape, which would be great for, obviously, ABC and ratings. Great for us, great for everybody, sure. and yeah, let's tease that for the end of the episode. we got to break that down further, because I think there's four major yeah. tentpole players, but we thought we were having one with Killers of the Flower Moon, $200 million budget mm-hmm. from Apple. That is not coming out this year. Instead, a- Apple's been scrambling a little bit, and let me lay the, uh, p- you know, pave the runway here for sure. your take, which I agree with, by the way, uh, on Emancipation, because now Emancipation, as we heard rumored a couple months ago, the Will Smith star Antoine Fuqua directed film is in fact getting pushed into this year uh, after the greatest beer run ever got panned, after Killers of the Flower Moon got pushed, like I said. And you wonder if Apple is searching to back another contender. And we heard rumors last week that Ridley Scott's Napoleon was being considered, but then mm-hmm. they decided that the Joaquin Phoenix star was going to get pushed as well into next year. So here's what they decided. They decided Emancipation. And this is an Oscar-y type trailer, and it's not the action movie teaser that I would ex- would have expected for the guy who directed the last two Equalizers, right. and Antoine Fuqua. This is this dramatic, terrifying buildup where you get glimpses of a harrowing chase film inside of a Civil War film or whatever we're doing here, but it's mostly Will Smith pulling off this accent much better than he did in the with the accent from concussion by the way like this is <laughs> this is great vocal work here and i just i mean this trailer to me looks as oscary as anything i've ever seen again it's just judging it on a trailer level but what do you think they're really doing here i mean are they are they posturing an oscars contender despite the the, the obvious fact that nobody is going to forget the slap least of all those in the in the academy well, people are going to forget to slap, but the Academy's not going to forget to right. slap, let's say. I mean, like, why why drop the Will Smith movie is kind of, like, the big question. And on first thought, I think back in, after the slap happened in April and May, I was like, there's no way Emancipation, I mean, they, they're going to shelve that for as long as they can. But the more I thought about it, especially the rumors of the past couple of weeks where it seemed like it was either going to be Killers of the Flower Moon or Emancipation that uh, Apple was going to eventually land and, and put down to have and support and back in this year's Oscars race. And then we saw over the weekend it was going to be Emancipation. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think doing so and just kind of releasing this now does a couple things for Apple. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, there's probably not going to be a good time to release the major Apple Antoine Fu a movie starring Will Smith with a $120 million budget or whatever it is at last check. So Apple might as well just rip the Band-Aid off, right, and get it over with and deal with any backlash and scrutiny that's going to be following a project like this anyway, whether it came this year or next year. Hmm. They're going to have the scrutiny. They might as well deal with it, get it out of their lives, right? Along those lines, it's better to deal with the controversies and narratives which may come now rather than worrying about them getting tangled up with Killers of the Flower Moon next year. I mean, there would be nothing more... I think painful for Apple than to if the killers of the flower moon is the awards magnet, they expect it to be. And by all indications, we think that's what the the expectations are at Apple for killers of the flower moon. Obviously I put $200 million behind it or whatever the, the number was. Mm-hmm. They don't want to have to 
you know, we're putting Killers of the Flower Moon on the pedestal. That's our Oscars project this year. But all along the way, they have to answer questions about Will Smith and the Oscar property and Antoine Fuqua and this movie being put out alongside it. I think that's probably might be what they're thinking as well. They don't want this movie, Emancipation, to take away from Killers of the Flower Moon or Napoleon, for that matter, like you said, next year as it is. And since Greatest Beer Run Ever is kind of looks like it's not going to be an Oscars player at all, Apple does have this opening in their schedule this year that they don't have anything to campaign for serious Oscars pushes within 2022. So why not drop this one? Maybe you can campaign Antoine Fuqua. Maybe you can campaign cinematography. It looks like a, a very cinema cinemagraphic trailer we got, like you said anyway. Maybe you can put your FYC campaign behind those aspects of it. Answer the Will Smith questions along the way this year, since you have that opening in your campaign schedule anyway, and keep it far away from being entangled next year in any kind of controversies that may come with, well, why are you putting this much money behind Killers of the Flower Moon and Napoleon but not this much money behind the Antoine Fuqua project? Is Will Smith that toxic? Is it only because of Will Smith? Are you putting too much money behind Will Smith when you have the Martin Scorsese project and the Leo DiCaprio project staring you in the face apple avoids all those questions by putting this movie out this year which they have the opening in their schedule and their resources to do and their campaigning i should say to do this year anyway yeah i think uh i think a lot of that tracks after after you wrote this out i was like okay it, this does make some sense now what's the reality of the film is the, is a major question like is this is this a great movie? Is this a a, a film that's not going to be received well? Do they know? I mean, if they if they're mm-hmm. putting out something that's just going to be a crowd pleaser, maybe preach to the Will Smith base in in a way that that will never you know turn on him because they're you know they're they're in his corner no matter what, and, and they're happy to do that here because he's such a movie star and they just need a big movie star movie at the end of the year. They got otherwise they got the Scrooge film and these other films aren't ready and maybe they're punting on this year's Oscar race entirely. They could be. Yeah. Even with this. Absolutely. I think that's a a real possibility. There's also a little fact that like, okay, we have this opening in our schedule. Yes, it's the Will Smith movie. So it's going to be talked about regardless. Let's say it is Oscars worthy. Look, Will Smith's not going to get nominated. Right. We know that. So if he if this is Oscars worthy, he's not getting nominated right. regardless this year. Are we agreeing on that? Even well, with a bad but, field, <laughs> perhaps. <but laughs> this is a a uniquely weaker year for the bleed actor field. It would seem, and yes, he just won it last year, and yes, he's off the slap, and yes, he's not going to get nominated. But <laughs> yeah, here's the thing about lead actor. We're gonna get to it later. Again, I'm teasing the the big section we're gonna do on the Feinberg forecast. But we've had a bunch of names fall away, including those like yes. Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Mr. Uh, Plemons there from Killers of the Flower Moon. Right. So a lot of big names fell out: Coleman Domingo, etc. Right. So there is. I, He's not going to get nominated. <laughs> and maybe if I say that enough, I'll actually believe it. Will Smith's not going to get nominated. But, look, if you have this opening in your campaign schedule anyway, like Apple does, and you are facing a weaker year that it seems like lead actor may be, and I just mean weaker historically in comparison to other years where we don't have five A-listers going at it, May you get the controversy. You can get this movie talked about where it otherwise wouldn't be. You could have the people online going back and forth at each other on Twitter with their takes. It at least gets you mentioned, right? Like, it's going to keep this movie in the zeitgeist a little more if it has the goods, if Will Smith is that good in it. 
if you over deliver with the film, yes. let's say it it could be a wave of positive news in a in a season that would otherwise show a, a very poor follow up to what was their you know surprise winning campaign last year with Coda. So they're coming right. off with all that good feeling from last year. So if they have a mulligan, then this year's probably the year to have that mulligan. And if they're if they actually have a player, then it could be a pleasant surprise, which something that we've been covering here forever. If you could posture the pleasant surprise somehow as a as a film marketing uh, person, then you're a maestro, and that's a smart <laughs> PR move. And basically, Will Smith could have his rehabilitation of his career projected from Oscar campaigns by or from this Oscar campaign by other people through the voices of other people singing his praises throughout the campaign and perhaps his few appearances at the premiere that will, you know, non Academy events, wherever mm-hmm. he can go because he is in the penalty box a bit. But right. you know, if he does the, if he continues the Mia culpa there, that, that could be a, a, a way for him. And many people have, have uh, been, you know, speculating about this on film Twitter, that could be a way for him and his PR team to take a step in the right direction to get his career back on track sooner than later. Because yeah. even if he does not give a, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis and Lincoln or Denzel and, Denzel and Malcolm X level performance that you would need at his stage to get nominated probably in that undeniable way yes. where they Agreed. have to nominate Agreed. him. You know, if he does great work in this and the film fills a void for Apple TV plus for an Oscars player and it gets three or four nominations, that would be a huge victory for Apple. Absolutely. And I mean, with the lead actor field being what it is this year, I just want to underscore as well. Like if, if they push this off to next year, I don't think the controversy, at least the theoretical lead actor picture next year, I don't think the controversy would matter. Like, there's a 100% chance he's not nominated next year if they drop this next year, it seems to me right now. There's, a, there's only a 99.9999% chance he's not nominated this year, you know? Oh, you, you think that oh 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 point, you know, that point oh 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 one is actually... This I year, think- it's the beneficiary of that. Oh, here, here's where we're arguing over the seventeenth <laughs> decimal point. <laughs> right, right. The podcast has officially I, come. I, to I, this. I agree with everything you say, and it, there's there's a lot of this can do a good for his career, and that should be the focus. Um, he's not going to get nominated. He's but- not getting it. But <laughs> but that's that's kind of where I'm at with this. But yes, I mean, look, it would be a huge win for Apple. You're absolutely right. If this could be the conduit that propels the healing. Well, and if it does not do well this year, what do they have to lose? They already have a right. sunken exactly. season in a way. Exactly. I mean, they're playing with house money as it is being the, the streamer. Exactly. That's the cat's ass right now. Having the lone best picture win amongst any streamers. <laughs> that's ass. Is that's that right. a saying? That's right. It is now, baby. <laughs> it is now. All right, let's move on to bones and all, which got its first trailer. I'm seeing bones and all this weekend. And I'm, I'm worried that I'm going to, Mike, I'm worried that I'm on a triangle of sadness all over myself. <laughs> Luca, somebody tell me if I'm going to be okay because like this move, this trailer looks disgusting. And and it makes mm-hmm. matters worse that all the reaction shots from all these recognizable stars like Mark Rylance and Michael Stuhlbarg and certainly Timothy Chalamet with blood spattering his face as he pummels somebody to death. Mm-hmm. And their their facial expressions scare me even more than you know, the, the glimpses of gore I see uh, uh, in this trailer. 
You think that was Timothy Chalamet making ground beef? (laughs) (laughs) I have already watched Fresh this year, so I think I'm tough. But just when I think I'm tough, someone's going to be like, no, no, no. Are you more scared of this movie or Hellraiser? Hellraiser. But I'm kind of scared of this movie. And I'm even more afraid of Luca Guadagnino because the erratic interviews are freaking me out because because look here's a story i'll tell a story mm-hmm. that i overheard somewhere campfire time go ahead here here is the first story of the podcast i'm going to finish with a lot of new york film festival stories my first story of the podcast okay is this a director makes a movie with star number one and star number two mm-hmm. star number one is run out of town because amongst other terrible things he's accused of being a cannibal <laughs> eating women's toes he's right. accused by multiple women of eating, yeah, he's a star number one. Yeah, a year later, same director makes his next movie about American cannibals featuring star number two. <laughs> but in an interview, he then says it's quote unquote preposterous that to think that these things might be linked in any way. Yeah, and look, let us not be the ones to throw stones at glass houses about Michael Stuhlbarg's dietary habits here. <laughs> no, obviously, uh, having to deal with Look, clearly, <laughs> Luca Guadagnino is working through some stuff here. And much in the way that it seems that Quentin Tarantino was probably working through stuff with Grindhouse. <laughs> if, uh, yeah, oh, God, that's the <laughs> evil joke. Well, it's. I mean, I, I'm not being. I'm not being sarcastic or trying to be funny. Like, this is stuff that's on these guys' mind, and whether it's conscious or unconscious, it has seeped its way into their work. It's one would think it's consciously put out of their minds through denial. Yes, and yeah, no, it, but but it's clearly in their minds. You're absolutely right, and. Michael Stuhlbarg, I have never seen a more convincing cannibal costume. Like, I don't want to read books by their covers, but this book. But that guy's eating a dude. (laughs) This book's cover is big letters, cannibal. Like the long, stringy, stringy Viserys Targaryen hair, those bad teeth, like the burn marks on his arm, you know, the bare chest underneath the overalls. I mean, if his name ain't Skater. I don't know what is. He eats. He eats human flesh. Yeah, and good for Stuhlbarg for playing like just a total character here. I didn't. I recognized Stuhlbarg. Rylance. I didn't even realize was Rylance in this trailer until they put giant letters Mark Rylance under his name. Like, has Mark Rylance ever played back to back roles where he was even close to the same character? No, I, I actually looked through IMDb when I read read this. Absolutely not. Like, he's the big friendly giant after Bridge of Spies when he wins the Oscar. Mm-hmm. And lately, like, I mean, you'd almost say, like, he takes deliberately opposite, polar opposite roles. I mean, considering he was eaten two movies ago, and now he's going to be the eater <laughs> right now. Well, how the turntables have turned. <laughs> I agree that, like, what we got in this trailer, though, is it's probably what a lot of people have described it as. It's hauntingly beautiful it, it reminded me i mean one of my favorite bands is motion city soundtrack they have a song ironically maybe called pulp fiction and the chorus is it's like a bad dream something from the back of a magazine black and white and cheaply put together it's like a slasher film i'm torn in opposite direction the plot sucks but the killings are gorgeous these look like gorgeous ass killings this is going to be the movie i think of when i hear that song now 
It's a very lovely quote. I'm glad that you said it. But I'm just what do I order at PJ Clark's before this movie? That's the real that's all that I ribs. care about in this trailer review. <laughs> do I order ribs? Because I could they have ribs because I don't want to be in that theater having eaten my ribs with still a little barbecue on my you know, because I'm rushing over there. And then Bubba Gump Stolbarg and tiny Tim Chalamet and Mark got the crazy Iry Lance are just eating some army hammer prosthetic body double one bite at a time <laughs> talking about girl problems and Taylor Russell's sitting somewhere else in beautiful silhouette and as, as the sun sets and and Timmy T- Timmy Chalamet just like I think I love her. This kid always asking for a peach. Why does he always want a peach? Everything wants a peach with this meal. <laughs> what am I did? What am I gonna do? Because here's my dilemma. I'm seeing four movies that day, mm-hmm. and I have like I have I'm gonna have no time between Bones and All and Decision to Leave. So I, I'm, oh, I'm seeing what a double ap- feature. Yeah, I'm seeing After Sun. Then I have time to 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 eat eat something. Right. And then I have bones and all, and then I don't have time to eat something until maybe like nine o'clock. What's and the I fourth keep, movie on the day? I got to keep my weight up. Oh God, what is what is the fourth movie on that day? I don't got to keep. Gotta I think one. Weight. Oh, one fine morning. One fine morning. Okay. Excuse me. I have actually a buffer. Uh, I have the Mia Hansen Love Leia Seydoux movie after Bones and All, and then I have Decision to Leave at nine. I see. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. so what are you leaning towards right now? What's the uh, what's the entree? I had the, you know, the ribs sound good. I'm not. <laughs> You're sick. I, I don't need a lot of convincing. <laughs> Maybe You're I'll just sick. do it now. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to, I'm going to order ribs. Just take ribs. a picture of yourself covered in the sauce too. Uh, ribs for lunch. <laughs> Going to see bones and all. <laughs> yeah. Just going to lean into it. Yeah. No, that, that's what I have to do now. Your, your silly joke has forced me to eat a, a half rack of ribs. You're sick for that. And you're sick for wanting to see Bardo after all we've heard about it. Bardo's trailer is great. The is Beatles. I am the Walrus song. I mean, the fact that the, all of the press going from the film festivals transitioning into Bardo's release on Netflix has been just totally opposite of of one another. Like two different worlds. Like Bardo cut 22 minutes. Everybody's saying it's back as a contender. RDMs, I've been talking to people and saying, I wouldn't rule it out yet because Netflix has owned basically Mexico's submission category uh, over the last few years. And certainly AGI is, you know, Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu is an Academy favorite. He's Mm -hmm. beloved. So the fact that Mexico chose Bardo to represent best international feature there, I mean, this is going on the path towards the fact that Netflix is going to save this campaign in a major way. And then they put out a trailer like this with all, with the old return of the fisheye lenses, Michael. Yeah, there was a lot of technique in this 160-second trailer. I mean, we've got Eye on the Walrus. There's a lot of panning shots, tracking shots, choreography, force perspective. A lot of technique being shown off in a you know two-minute and 40-second trailer. But now you're 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 buying. You're doing a complete 180. You think everyone was just lied to? You think those 22 minutes that have since been cut were the 22 minutes that'll save this feature, even though it's still bordering on a three hours or two and a half hour plus watch? Well, number one, we love the cinematography. So that's yes. and the editing of the trailer and the music. I look, the, trailer the trailer looks great. It and really then looks the opposite of everything we've heard about the movie. And then time. half of the stuff we saw in the movie looks like a Kevin Finnerty you know, surreal dream from mm-hmm. Tony Soprano's season five of, <laughs> I forget, was it season five yeah, of I The Sopranos? So. Yeah. I, I, 
half of it looks like that, and then the other half of it looks like this zany party movie a la Babylon and Damien Chazelle and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and it's all in the mind of this director who feels like he's out-kicked his coverage with uh, his life, and then the guy does a bunch of interviews, and he's like, oh my god, my life has gone much better than I ever thought possible. <laughs> Why is it self-aggrandizement when I make a movie think, saying that it's too good to be true, and I'm try- I'm wrestling with this? So this is just imposter syndrome, the movie. Yeah, it's imposter syndrome, the movie. According to AGI's interviews, that's the way he's felt. And he's been frustrated with the fact that, you know, people are all calling this self-indulgent. But that's the job. You're you're making a movie about your artistic process and what you've experienced. What What else are you supposed to do? I mean, you could say the same thing about Cuaron. I mean, I get the tone and everything. I mean, he's making it about other people. He's making it about his mother, and that's the whole thing. If you're going to tell your autobiography, in a sense, you're going to do it as stylish as this, what's the problem with that? I mean, if anybody's got to tell it, he's got to tell it. There are great symbolism, great surreal imagery. It's like a being John Malkovich meets Mulholland Drive type oh, stuff God. at times through this uh, <laughs> this trailer. That's what I was getting, at least. But you do have the reviews, and this is one that's, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but you've said it, it's self-aggrandizing. I mean, this, somebody said this is basically like watching somebody masturbate for three hours. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's the, the essence you know, of every review, which makes no sense to me when you watch a trailer like this. I agree with that aspect of it, but you're, you're just going to say everybody is wrong? I, I am hoping that the 22 minutes was just, you cut out all the masturbation. Okay. Because if it was a Charlie Kaufman movie, then you'd have at least 22 <laughs> minutes of that in there. Right? I mean, but um, it, look at this. I mean, imagine if Charlie Kaufman, one of his surrogate characters that represented him in any of his films, walked behind that restaurant in Mulholland Drive. What would, ha- <laughs> like his head would explode like he was in a Cronenberg film. <laughs> yes. Correct. <laughs> I'm in for Bardo. I, I look at. I even the title is kind of funny to me. I mean, but maybe I'm a, a douchebag. Maybe maybe that's the tr- the case here. But I was so excited that we didn't have to review that. And now the fact that and look, I agree. I think it's going to be a player in the international feature category, which is what we're talking about next. That, that we have a huge international feature category update, and this one's going to be a major player in it. But yeah, it looks like I'm going to have to dive in, and I'm not thrilled about that aspect. Bardo was chosen uh, by uh, Mexico. Holy Spider was selected by Denmark, I think, in a previous episode. I thought it was passed up by Iran, but the filmmaker Ali Abbasi is Danish, so this is cool to see. All right, mm-hmm. That's the point of origin. You know, I'm ignorant for not knowing that. It's cool to see Hol- Holy Spider represented, big winner over a can. St. Omer was selected by France. Over One Fine Morning, Full Time, which I really loved, by the way. Paris Memories and the Worst Ones, though that was the shortlist in France. We weren't sure who was getting selected. So that's a big deal, and now that's a big player, and I'm very upset at myself for not getting a ticket at the New York Film Festival. I had a couple opportunities here. Well, you've been following International Feature, the category, very heavily mm-hmm. for the past two years, especially here. Like, as someone who doesn't follow it as closely as you do, this year seems to me to be an especially deep field, whereas mm-hmm. a couple years in a row now we're off of what seems to be more of a top-heavy field. It seemed like Parasite was a foregone conclusion for a while. It seemed like another round was a foregone conclusion for the category for a while. But this year, there seems to not only be a lot of quality, but also 
enough that it doesn't we may not get a runaway favorite i mean there's a lot of options that could be considered favorites in this category but again you follow this category much more closely than i do how do you think this year's international feature category is stacking up in comparison to recent years? Well, I mean, if you're following the pundits and the, the like, the major pundits, uh, Feinberg, uh, Neglia, and, and and Clayton Davis, especially, they, they're talking about a lot of these international films in major categories. Close, Feinberg's forecast, picture, actor, screenplay, decision mm. to leave, actor, actor, actress, director, picture, triangle of sadness, supporting actress, screenplay, director, picture, Bardo, director, screenplay, cinematography, mm. actor. Corsage has a has a Vicky Creeps actor actress play. Holy Spider, she won the actress at at Cannes. Uh, and and the, the, those six are followed by major win, winners in the film festival circuit like Alcaraz that won Berlin, Saint-Omer won three awards at Venice, now getting a ton of hype at New York. Argentina 1985 just won San Sebastian plus two awards at Venice. EO won two awards at Cannes and the adoration of odd couple cast member David Ehrlich from IndieWire. <laughs> That's out of Poland. Girl Picture won Finland, won over my heart. I, I loved it from Sundance. Uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, big hit at TIFF coming from Germany. Yep. Major rollout coming up at Netflix. That's 11 films. And, of course, we know that there's going to be 90-something submissions overall. And this branch is very hard to pin down. They do not follow consensus. Conf- they do not conform to that usually, even though maybe the big players will get in. But last year, Tatan not getting in, at least to the short list, still a bit of a surprise to me even you know the subject matter withstanding so you know you're going to have another half dozen films that just get in here in the category so that mike there's going to be major options in international feature and i'm going to review a few of them at the end of this episode too i'm looking for i mean this does look i international feature i'm the typical america cinema viewer at least i was certainly when we started this podcast i've, I've tried to change my ways and i'm slowly but surely coming around to it but this you know, recent years, the early years of MMO international feature, I felt like, uh, you know, a stranger in a strange land. I was completely lost. This is the first year where it's like, oh, damn, there's like a lot of movies I really, really want to see and seek out that aren't even really in consideration. I mean, what was the one with the kids that might have superpower, but they end up injuring each other? That's not even being talked about in consideration for this category. Yeah, I saw that. That was the innocence. Yeah, was, yeah you weren't. I mean, I know you weren't crazy about it, but like there's like. I, I just think the international field has caught up to American filmmaking. I really do, at least in terms of storytelling, which is, again, I'm a story junkie. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong, not in the least. And it's uh, it's an exciting time. And that's why you got those who are in charge of the Academy saying the future the future is in international sim- cinema. Mm-hmm. Bill Kramer there, right? That was Kramer, I believe. Anyway, I, uh, I, I think you're right. But he was also saying that at like Cannes, right? Or Venice. He was speaking to an international audience. He was really he was he was stroking the cat. He was no. He knew what he was doing. <laughs> cat's ass. He was stroking the cat's ass. He was stroking the cat's two, ass. Two terms that I just made up today in this episode. <laughs> stroking the cat's ass will be the. Uh, That's the title of this. Will episode. be in the tagline of our podcast very soon. I'm sure. Yes. But all right, look at we gotta circle back or kind of build up to it. I guess the, the Lord fine- has spoken. Feinberg forecast. <laughs> His first of the year dropped, and my God, did he drop some fine bombs here, Michael. We'll start with Best Picture. Top Gun is entrenched at number two. Everything, everywhere, all at once, entrenched at number three. And everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Both both films all over the board, and Mm -hmm. Glass Onion 
at number nine amongst yeah. some other surprises. Top Gun being number two is the big surprise. To, I mean, I expected it in the top ten. I don't know that I expected it that close to number one. But mm. if Top Gun's not the biggest surprise to me, then Elvis comfortably inside the top ten at number six yeah, was a huge surprise to me. It's ahead of the Woman King, She Said, Glass Onion, and Tar, which round out the ten for the category. With Fablements being up top, of course. Yeah. But my God, I am, I am glad because this validates a lot what we've been saying and never mind our entire lives for doing this project of a year-round Oscar podcast. I'm so happy we have films from the first eight months of the year. I deserve an Oscar for that performance. Uh, but look at like he's he's got some big movies on the still to see list. This is where we circle back to the conversation of Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, certainly uh, amongst one of those majors that we're going to keep talking Babylon. about in this section. Yeah, Babylon, uh, Avatar, The Way of Water. Mm-hmm. My God, these could be 10 nominee players, any one of them. I would probably be surprised if all four of them, or all three of them, I'm going to get to that fourth one in a second, Deliver in the same way because that never happens in life. But I don't know. I mean, dude, dude, we're gonna. Have, if you add Glass Onion to that, we're gonna have four sequels to previous nominees. That's crazy. That are tent poles in this year's, you know, box office. Remember slash when streaming. sequels were surefire letdowns, both critically and commercially? It's a different world we're living in. It's an absolutely different world. Uh, and speaking of a movie that should get a sequel, it's RRR, and he still got RRR in the list, Mike. He's in, it's in his best picture list. It's at the bottom of the possibility section, which is the section behind the major threat section, which is the section behind the front runner section, which are the the front runners are the current nominees in the Feinberg forecast. I, I just wanted to point that out. I mean, it would have been interesting and a curious talking point had India selected RRR as their official submission for the international feature category to see where that would be otherwise in the best picture ranking. But as it is, it's it's nice to see it listed at least still knowing that it can't be an international feature category. Player, so I do think RRR could still be involved in VFX production design and certainly best original song. Like that's just a moment mm-hmm. of the year and best original song. And, and everybody, you you should watch that movie just for the song. And you kind of need the context of it, but that's enough right there. That's the price of admission right there. It's a three-hour movie that delivers goods you never thought would be delivered at any movie, guys. <laughs> but it's unfortunate, however that we have such a humongous hit with RRR and it does not get an international feature selection to to play with because that does hurt. That's that's a much easier path when you have the international feature selection. And yes, Parallel Mothers and previous films, uh, previous hits of the past based on political reasons, based on, you know, the facts that, you know, and IndieWire has been covering the hell out of this. The fact that these nations can choose their own representative it's a dicey thing because any you know some nations don't have the freedom of speech laws the way we do for god god love them but yeah i mean we we have a a quagmire fraught with talking points yeah certainly. fraught with talking points and and rrr is 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 struggling for that reason with its home country but I, I, I think the uh the academy based on a lot of what pundits are saying could still consider it and i hope so it would be you, like you said, the most important thing, it's, it's path is much easier were in consideration for that category. But yeah, I mean, sure, it's it's got a, a chance in a couple of other categories. It's going to be something to keep an eye on. Uh, and it's just another example of how 
interesting the international play is, uh, talking in general, not about the international feature category, but just how international cinema has become a major factor uh, to the Oscars. I also, I mean, that I know it might isolate some, um, let's call them short-sighted American viewers, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's got to be better for the Oscars viewing at large and ratings at large, right? I would think to have you more international hope. play like that. Absolutely. It, there's no question. There's no question overall that that's a boon for them. And uh, RRR being involved in the Oscars would be huge for the Academy now and, and for the Oscars brand around the world. Right. Now, I, which international fe- uh, f- a feature is going to get that love and going to get put forward? That remains to be seen. And like you said, because it's such a tight race and a wide race at the moment, that's a question. But we have, for the first time in a long time, four tentpoles like we were talking about. Top Gun, Maverick, Entrenched. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever could be huge. They, they need to, a lot needs to happen for that to be screwed up, I think. Avatar, The Way of Water, Glass Onion, and Knives Out Mystery. Those are five chances that we just mentioned. For the Academy to make hay with viewership, just based on the, the nominations involved. Like, this is something, this is an opportunity for them. Especially off the backs of the last two years and how much they focused on ratings and how the story of the last two years is either COVID or the slap, which are such negatives for the industry in general and especially the Academy specifically. I, this this could be a godsend of a year. You know, movies are back. Look how much money. These, look at the box office for all these Oscar noms that we did. Like, there's so many easy narratives to write. They have to have their fingers crossed that these movies that have yet to be seen. And ba- we didn't even mention Babylon yet, which obviously isn't a sequel, right. but could do well on its own. I mean, they ha- the Academy's got to have everything, all fingers, toes, arms, legs, eyes crossed that they can cross. But I don't know about you, but the Fablemans, Banshees, and Women Talking, like those three seem to have emerged from the festival. But a lot of movies fell off from the festival and Mm -hmm. didn't gain the consensus that I thought they would have. Yes. The whale tar, the inspection, white noise, all positive, you know, campaigns for them, but like the sun, who the hell knows if that's going to come back. I mean, we've seen Jojo rabbits come back from festival struggles or whatever, but but we saw that rebound happen really quick for Jojo rabbits. Yeah. She said, we don't know yet. I'm seeing that next uh, two weeks from now. I'm surprised that one hasn't taken hold. Well, it just hasn't played yet. We don't, we don't know yet. So that's coming next week. But uh, yeah, she said we're waiting on that. White noise did not take hold, though. I, I don't know. I really don't know. And then you've got a lot of other films that have kind of just by their absence fallen back. So it, it's going to be a fascinating best picture race. Let's move the best director now, though, Michael, because this is another, you know, ver- volatile field, versatile field. Field, what it, field or fold? One every of those two. every V word that could be an adjective. I agree because I think okay. it is volatile and versatile. <laughs> but we have currently the top five on Feinberg's forecast in order: Spielberg, Sarah Polly, The Daniels for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Todd Field for Tar, and Gina Prince Blythewood. Blythewood, excuse me, for The Woman King. Those are your current top five. Park Chan Wook is sixth. Martin McDonough is seventh currently. But I mean, the still to see category, which Feinberg has not yet seen. I think has the biggest impact in the director field, or at least the biggest potential impact for the director field versus any other. That's just my opinion. But you Mm -hmm. have James Cameron, Damien Chazelle, Ryan Coogler, and Guillermo del Toro for Pinocchio, all waiting to (laughs) grace Scott's eyes with their presence for those movies. It's not unfathomable to me to think that the five that are listed currently in, in Scott's, the Feinberg forecast top five, 
could have the most volatility by the time the Oscars roll around, because I could see three of those four that are still to see actually landing nomination in the director category come Oscars time. You think that dead-eyed Pinocchio? No, is gonna... not that one. I said three of the four. <laughs> <laughs> Cameron, Chazelle, and Coogler. I'm not staking my claim in, in the horror show that will be Pinocchio. Yeah, Chazelle and Coogler for sure. I am, I'm hoping, yeah, I'm hoping for a great race and director, but... I'm rooting for the Chukwu's, Traders, McDonough's. I'm rooting for those few movies that I'm going to see over the next two weeks, you know, to, to, to get themselves in the race. And maybe if they get knocked off, you know, that'll make it more fun. Knocked off by better movies, like we're saying, in December and the late race. Because, yeah, I'm wondering what this field is going to be. There's like 10 names for me, too. Uh, and then you have, Park, you know, Park Chan-wook. But he, they're he, all fighting camp. for four spots right now, right? Spielberg's in. Spielberg's in. Polly is probably in as well. I agree with that too, yeah. Based on the fact that she did like a 12 Angry Men. Mm-hmm. And I'm really bummed out. I'm not going to see Women Talking at the festival. I was going to, I mean, I was going to buy a ticket today to Women Talking instead of White Noise, but nah, I want to hang out with Andrew. I had a good time hanging out with Andrew. Good. I'll, I'll keep hanging out with Andrew. Right. I, he's, he's all right. He's, he's not bad. He's you cool and guy. Andrew are fine leading men. I would say they're A caliber leading men which the leading acting category badly needs because there is a dearth of a a caliber leading men. Did I and do who, that transition well? Yeah, and who fills the dearth? Yeah. It's Adam Sandler from Hustle. Netflix which is not a joke, movie. by the way. That's not that's not a joke Mike's making. <laughs> and Tom Cruise cemented in the category at number 4. That's crazy. So, look, I don't understand this how we got here to this point. The Stealth of Sea category for Feinberg Forecast doesn't have Many right. major players in it, which Diego, means that Diego Calva, maybe, but yeah. Well, it means that what is available for this category, or at least what we expected to be players and contenders in this category, is already out, and Hollywood has already seen and is now able to digest and judge. Look, Will Smith's not going to get nominated, okay? <laughs> but, <laughs> but. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Well, I mean, they ha- they had the opportunity to emerge from the festivals. We we saw Hugh Jackman. Just the movie was panned. I mean, yeah. the sun was not you know not beloved. We saw Adam Driver, Eddie Redmayne, Song Came Ho, kind of fall back a little bit. Even though their films are liked, are they loved? Is anybody banging the table? For Adam Driver, Song Kang Ho, or Eddie Redmayne, I haven't seen enough of yeah, it. Same. Typically, you see more of it. Mm-hmm. And then you had major exoduses in Leonardo DiCaprio or Mr. Plemons from The Flower Moon, Coma Domingo from Rusted, like mm-hmm. I said. Before you look at you know films that are just getting crushed in the regular landscape, like Amsterdam and Christian Bale. He yeah. was supposed to be involved there. Now, he may still have his Netflix movie, The Pale Blue Eye. He may still be involved in that regard but the only two to really cement their candidacies as probable nominees are brandon frazier from the whale and colin farrell of the banshees of inisharan i think there are major red flags with the rest of the field so what's happened austin butler is now at the three spot tom cruise is right in there sundance's bill nye from from living and if anybody knows how to play that at Sony Pictures Classics, they had the father come out in Sundance, and eventually Anthony Hopkins won the thing yep. after they good point played some festivals perfectly with the father until you know absence made the heart grow fonder for everybody, and he he won that thing. I mean, obviously it was a great performance, and then they played it well 
you know, a different campaign strategy with Parallel Mothers and Penelope Cruz getting her nominated despite the fact that, Great you know, points. You know, so that wasn't nominated an international feature like we were talking about with RRR. So we've had Sony Pictures Classics really know what they're doing with these actor campaigns. And now they have Bill Nye, who's just you see him opening and closing all these reason, regional festivals and you see him getting his tributes. And he's just he's just a constant presence in this film festival season. You never know. Certainly a resume builder certainly has is building the case as it is for his potential nomination I don't. I don't know where the. I mean, Adam Driver can't get nominated for Hustle, right? I, I guess the biggest Adam, thing, the Adam biggest, Sandler. Adam Sandler, yeah. Well, Adam Driver can't get nominated. for You're right Hitler about Adam Driver either. Yeah, for yeah. <laughs> Professor Hitler either. He shouldn't be there. But Adam Sandler for Hustle being in the five is so stark to me at this point. But I guess it also lends itself to this narrative of Austin Butler's got to be feeling kind of good about his chances right now, doesn't he? He's got to feel great. He's got to feel like he's entrenched, like he's like he's a problem. I mean, it's a movie everybody's seen. It's one of the only lead acting performances everybody has high marks for, regardless well, look, of what they think about the movie in general. If you had to do the over-under on Elvis again right now, it would be a higher number, wouldn't it? Like, Elvis's chances are, are have greatly increased. It has to be a higher number. I mean, just, yeah, I, I, I completely... Man, I mean, when I'm looking at... Uh, I'm looking at, I, I'm trying to keep track of our over, under, under uh, noms as we go along here. Elvis, we said five at the time. Top Gun Maverick, you said six. Do you feel like that's where I feel much go better. higher? Oh, I feel much better about Top Gun Maverick yeah. at this point. So yeah. what's happened is that these film festival movies have not taken over like we thought they, they might have. And there's a couple that are obviously major contenders. But no, it's, we are. it's it seems like it's a better year for bigger studios, which is going to be what the Oscars want to hear. And it leads me back to this point. Look, Will Smith's not going to be nominated. OK, <laughs> there is a problem in this category that could be solved with the star power and controversy that Will Smith could bring. I'm just saying you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Lead That's actress. all I'll say. All lead right, actress. lead actress, please. <laughs> Looks pretty chalk at this point. Uh, it might be a surprise to hear that for all the uh, roses that Kate Blanchett got for her performance in Tar, she's currently sitting third on the list of Feinberg's forecast behind Michelle's Yo and Williams in order. Olivia Coleman is fifth. That also might be surprising considering Empire of the Light isn't ranked too favorably in other categories on the Feinberg forecast, but those are your top five right now. I am intrigued by Danielle Deadweiler. Maybe she can crash it. Carrie Mulligan coming up. Because I've heard that Olivia Coleman is great, but, you know, is she in the movie yeah. as much? Viola Davis, we, we praised her, but we kind of feared that she would get knocked off a little bit. Michelle Yeoh's playing it perfectly, and, and A24 is playing it perfectly with her. She seems entrenched at this moment. Michelle Williams, a contender. I, I said it last episode. I don't. I do not think Anna Diarmas gets in. I think that movie got crushed. I, I I have I do not want to see that movie. I don't want to watch Blonde. Yeah, and Florence Pugh, even though she's great, and don't worry, darling, I'd be surprised. Same. I mean, we we got Margot Robbie still to come. Are you surprised by since our last episode we recorded together, Michelle Williams has been deemed as being fully a lead actress, not going to campaign and supporting? Are you surprised to see her ranked so favorably? She's currently number two. A little bit, a little bit, but yeah, she seems like she's entrenched and and, and safer at the moment. But uh, yeah, Mich the Michelles and Kate Blanchett. I'm seeing uh, I'm seeing Tar this evening, and 
yeah, maybe I'll have to tweet about it. But but mm-hmm. yeah, I think uh, I I'm not a I'm not a big tweeter, but I I do think this race is is certainly certainly going to be perhaps the closest out there because you have so many big names, so many former winners, and and it's a deep list. Like you could go down the list. Sure. I didn't even mention Naomi Aki, Jennifer Lawrence. You oh know. yeah, I keep forgetting about that movie. Who else? Taylor Taylor Russell should have yep. been from Waves, but Tilda Swinton's got a four movies. <laughs> Emma Thompson, Tong Wei. I mean, again, the international features could uh, could come in and crash this party. There's no doubt about that, as well. Something to keep an eye on. It's it's also bizarre how we have this many, and I guess this is kind of a sign of the time, or at least a sign of when this type of thing happens. When you have so many studio movies that are, or at least seem to, are going to be involved. That's a sentence. Seem to are going to be. They seem like they're going to be involved in the best picture race, all these big studio, these major box office fair. The performances aren't there, right, in these movies, at least. I mean, Austin Butler notwithstanding, it seems like the performances are going to have to come from elsewhere other than the big tentpole movies that we're talking about might duel it out for screenplays and the best picture category. It's possible, but then again... It, it might be fortuitous for a lead actor category that's Tom not Cruise as strong. And Tom, all the way to the stage, yeah, you're right. Just uh, that laughter is a scary laugh. <laughs> laughter. It's in Hellraiser, I heard. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, <laughs> and that's why I'm not seeing Hellraiser. All right, supporting actor, Gahui Kwan, Everything Everywhere, All at Once. Really awesome to see him at number one. That's deserving. This is another wide-open category, I would say. Though. Everything Everywhere All at Once is all over this edition of the Feinberg Forecast, and so we know and have talked to Scott about this we know scott ranks these based on not only his preference but more so what he's hearing and the hype surrounding it and talking to different academy members and what they're feeling at the time so this is a true reflection it's why we put so much stock into it and the access that scott has i wonder if this is reflecting positively on everything everywhere all at once and the elvises and the top guns because those are movies that the majority of the academy has already seen Whereas mm-hmm. they're waiting for the screeners to come and they're not going to get to the, you know, the Empire of the Lights and the, the Banshees of Inishirans until those screeners come later in the winter. That's a great point. And, and the Fablemans was must watch, mm-hmm. must watch fair at the festivals. And I'm really good at alliteration. And <laughs> uh, Paul Dano and Judd Hirsch probably put forward. They, they look like they're contending in the category. The Banshees of Inishirans, Brendan Gleeson. And Eddie Redmayne close out his five there, but I don't know. Maybe you could see them go up or down. I I, uh, I would say that uh, there's a lot of big names in this category, and it probably goes twenty deep. And I, I would not I would not feel like this is a, a supporting actor class that that feels fixed yet at all. This could I agree go with that. A, a dozen different ways. I agree uh, with that. As for supporting actress, even more so now that Michelle Williams has moved off. But Stephanie Sue and Jamie Lee Curtis now getting the stamp of approval from Everything Everywhere All at Once. And then all the women, all the women who were talking. Yes, all the women who just stepped on your joke there, but good job. <laughs> all the women who were talking. And I mean, you make a good point. Uh, like Jamie Lee Curtis is currently sitting at number one. Stephanie Sue is in there too. But a lot of overlap in movies in this category. There are 19 names listed amongst the front runners, major threats, and possibilities categories on the Feinberg forecast. All of them come from just 12 movies. Women talking, everything, everywhere, all at once, she said, and the whale account for 11 of those 19 names alone. So this is a a clustered category right now that doesn't have a lot of differentiation or uh, versatility, as we said some other categories currently have. Tuso Mbedu, 
from the Woman King still in it, which I would agree with. And, I, and unfortunately, Dolly DeLeon is is really good in Triangle of Sadness, but no, I don't I don't see that. Sorry, uh, Carrie Condon, Banshees, Gabrielle Union. I've I've heard a lot from the inspection is Je- Janelle Monae a lead or supporting from Glass Onion. But uh, look, we have major contenders that could knock off any of the women talking, Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley there, or Jamie Lee Curtis. The fact that he has Jamie Lee Curtis, number one, though, has got to be really good I like good, to think he listened you. to my complaining about how she isn't getting nearly enough publicity or, mo- or momentum for her performance in that. <laughs> and how I whined basically that she should get uh, be considered a favorite for the category. I'm sure that's what it is. It You're whining. A, he was just he. That's him telling me, Mike. I got your back. Me and Scott but, linked forever <laughs> like that. And maybe he misinterpreted the Adam Sandler love from this podcast <laughs> in the same way. No, I just no. love that he said screw it. I just love that he said screw it. Adam Sandler was awesome. I, I love that. But that's movie. the thing, right? Let's like, go. like Scott doesn't just he doesn't say screw it. This is stuff that he hears. And he puts in the list. Like, he might have said, screw it with Adam Sandler from <laughs> Hustle. He might have just said, he, he, he might have had a Sandler moment. Household. <laughs> he might have had a moment of weakness there. I don't know, but mate, you're, 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 you know what? I of like you're Big right. Daddy. So fuck everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that woman told me I couldn't move her bag. Uh, can you believe that shit from the festival he was tweeting about? Uh, I, We're gonna, I, that's I said. It's David Crosby in a mask. That's right. You did say that. That's a good joke. Unbelievable. Uh, nuts. I, w- I don't know what I would do. I probably would go to PJ Clark's just like him. Maybe I'll see him. I Hopefully yeah. I, I don't. Because Const- I would just have professional. To- He's always in these. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go check out uh, Scott's timeline there on Twitter. He had to deal with what seems like a crazy person uh, yelling at him, trying to get a seat at a movie. But, uh, like, he deals at least it seems to deals magnificently professionally in these incredibly awkward situations. And for example, a of that do go seek out. I mean, it is a masterclass in professionalism. According to me, anyway, do go seek out Scott's podcast that he did with David Crosby, who could Mm. not have been more jarring and like just trite. And obviously came in having a bad day as it was and took it out on Scott and Scott handled it. Maybe a bad decade. (laughs) And I thought Scott handled it beautifully. Yeah, that was. Uh, what would we have done? Would we have just yelled pooped. louder? Just pooped. Pooped our pants. <laughs> David Crosby's yelling at me. <laughs> uh, pooped our pants is probably the answer. Yeah. That's probably the correct answer. <laughs> anyway, let's let's keep going with this adapted screenplay. Glass Onion number two on Scott's list of adapted screenplay. Holy cow! Entrenched is 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 a certainty there. This could be a very fun category. All around. I mean, if we actually have woman talking versus she said versus glass onion, while we all wonder and argue if the whale and the good nurse have enough support to procure the fourth and fifth slots. And that's a fun category just for talking and argument's sake. I'd say keep an eye on Wakanda forever here. Keep an eye on Top Gun Maverick, because why not? Uh, Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I think this could be a, a massively fun conversation piece for a category. I love it. Uh, An original screenplay, The Woman King, heavily represented all along his list. Picture, director, yeah. Davis, and Beto, original screenplay, like I said. But at number four. So Park Chan-wook, I mean, director seems like a bloodbath of a category. Yeah. And Park Chan-wook is listed higher in director for Decision to Leave than he is in original screenplay, which it seems like it would be easier for him to gain nomination there, which I think is just interesting. He's sixth right now in the director category, mm-hmm. and Park Chan-wook is 
10th right now in original screenplay for Decision to Leave. Well, do you think that's because werewolves are seen as <laughs> old hat in Hollywood at this point? Like too many werewolf movies. I mean, that, that's just, but that's just a genre problem. That's not his fault. Yeah. That's just, it's overdone. Right. It's like it was Beyonce 10 years ago, right? Just yeah. too much Beyonce. So she can't win everything. It's almost as if he shouldn't have made a werewolf movie, which some right. might argue he didn't. <laughs> some might argue he did not do this, but of course. You just, you know, if you you can't go with the popular, obvious <laughs> subject matter in every movie park. The uh, year Jane of Wook. the werewolf movie. Yes. Uh, but look at Scott had Goodnight Oppie leading best documentary. Not all the beauty in the bloodshed. Which isn't even in the top five. It's not even sixth. Holy cow. Crazy. And and people were proclaiming that as a wall-to-wall frontrunner winner yeah. after Venice. Yeah. It's Crazy. But, but again, like... yeah, I mean, is that. Is that what he's hearing, or is that just Scott projecting, knowing what the documentary feature category uh, branch, I should say, they does? They do not like their front runners. Yeah. You're, you're correct in that. Except last year, right. Summer of Soul was basically wall Hard to, wall. to hate Questlove. Very hard to hate Questlove. Good, good. Uh, they, they chose properly. Close is leading international feature over Decision to Leave, which surprised me. A lot of road to hoe in that category, as we've been talking about all episode long. A lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of road there for Scott, for us, the Academy countries in general the world the universe well, we've yet to hear from any other galaxy like that one rick and morty episode <laughs> so there's there's a ways to go with international feature i'd say i love the uh, sci-fi slash farming references <laughs> in one paragraph uh all right this is the portion of the, the main program event here <laughs> where i'm gonna tell a bunch of what i think are amusing anecdotes all right like you could think anything <laughs> about these but i have tried to keep these from you. Yes. I've not, I, I, I've I'm not, not privy to any of these stories. I've not told any of these stories or anecdotes mm-hmm. yet. Uh, and I'll start with my Saturday. So I'm, I'm heading into the city to see Triangle of Sadness with one of my brothers. I won't mention his name. It could be any one of the four. Because <laughs> okay. I don't want to embarrass him. I'm, I'm going to tell an embarrassing story coming up. Okay. But I went with my brother and a JJ, mm-hmm. my brother's friend. And we went to Beer House. That's what the, these guys are young. They want to go to a German beer sure. Oktoberfest. It's October 1st. Oh, they nice. want to okay. do it. So we, we hit it just right. And we last time we tried to do a big German beer hall that, you know, basically on a similar day of Oktoberfest. I think we were a day before. But we wanted to go to the big German beer hall in, in Manhattan. And we picked the one on the outskirts that just had like. No atmosphere whatsoever. And we Mm -hmm. screwed it up. This year, I realized I'm at my happiness when a giant polka band is playing stink songs. They're playing the police and they're playing so lonely. And I, I mean, this is what I wanted. I wanted a big German beer hall with everybody clanking their glasses and, and, you know, New York stink songs playing. By a polka band because what, this was what were just the, the best. What were the selections? So so lonely, and then I think I can't stand so close to me. I don't okay. remember that, right. but it, yeah, they, they, these are just great songs, and I, I'll listen to them forever. And they're even better when a giant polka band plays it. And the polka band singer was not a polka band singer, but he was like just a normal guy. But yeah, no, this was great. Wait, what does uh, that mean? What's it, what differentiates? I mean. Well, Most he didn't look like a giant pierogi like you do. He just looks like that's terrible. <laughs> you look like you're a ski or an icky yep. or something. Yep. You have an eye at the end of your name. Yeah. Just based on I could spot you from my just like I have an E at the end of my name. If somebody <laughs> saw me, I look like Al Pacino who got, you know, hit by a car and 
Yeah, I, that's what I look like. I look like any one of the gangsters. I look like the driver of an older gangster. That's what I look like. Okay. I look like the guy who drives around the maid guy. And the the moral of this, the lesson here is that the man singing for the polka band didn't. No, he, he did not look like he was Polish. But I see. Because he, right. he, he looked like he was a cool head of a rock band. He wasn't. He, big, he wasn't like eating borscht in between songs. He wasn't that's like, right. I see. Right. And he's and he's and he's saying a great cover. Of so the because police's... he had a good voice, you're just insulting my people now. So because he had a good voice and was decent looking. <laughs> uh, no, but it, <laughs> I, I have seen the Oscar-nominated Polish films of the last few years. <laughs> the, the most handsome men ever. What was the? Uh, what was the one? It was just. They were walking around in the snow. Oh, God, Mike. All of them? A cold something. I have Ida. no idea. Who was Ida? Ida Oscars. Hold on. Oh, my God. This is not supposed to have been what derailed the podcast. <laughs> <sighs> the description was they were walking around in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> Powell Polakowski's made Cold Ida. War? And then Cold War. Yeah. Cold War. I don't Two. know that I would describe Cold War as the movie they were walking around in the snow. Tomasz Kot and jo- Joanna Kulig, the hottest people on the planet. Mm-hmm. Polish, right? Yes. Are they not Polish? I, I right. believe. See? Anyway. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> worst is that in, by the way. Worst is the best. That's all I'll have to say about Beer House. So we go, we finish with Beer House, and I'm like, all right, we got to do, we got an hour to kill. Let's go to PJ Clark's. Maybe they got some dessert, right? But we'll get fancy drinks. We're about mm-hmm. to go into Triangle of Sadness. I don't want to do that sober, obviously. We had they had like train beers. I don't know how many. I had I had four train beers myself. So we're all feeling no floating. pain right now. Yeah. We're floating. And uh PJ Clark's has key lime pie. Life will never be the same again. This is a big moment for you. Now that because I am basically Clint Eastwood in Million Dollar Baby, when I sit down at a at any kind of table at a restaurant, I am hoping that they have key lime pie. Uh-huh. They had key lime pie; and it was delicious. Because here's the thing: whipped cream, heavy cream, cream in your coffee at a New York restaurant tastes so much better than anything you can have at home ever. Right? Isn't that something you've noticed in life? <laughs> Because the whipped cream on this key lime pie with the powdered sugar yeah. just made that thing. It was this so is delicious. Projection. The, the, I'm just going to title this section of this episode "Projection." <laughs> so delicious. Yeah. Uh, I'm more so of a go, lemon meringue guy myself, but I get well, what you're getting at. The cream on a lemon meringue better in New York City yeah. than anywhere else. <laughs> I'm sure. We we go into Triangle of Sadness. Alice Tully Hall, 1,100 people, and I basically got a comparative study on exactly how i had food poisoning a month ago look i was gonna say Mm -hmm. not to get gross but i don't know how you fill yourself in the way you do with alcohol and food and dessert (laughs) and then sit through i like i cannot stay awake in movies as it is when i go in with a water bottle (laughs) well here's here's the thing i had for some foolish reason probably because I was four Guinnesses in mm-hmm. and c- coming oh, off God. a loss. But I was, I was, I was sitting with friends and I ended up sitting with friends until two 30 in the morning. So I, I had 
basically stayed out late because I knew I was going to be out late the next morning. I was telling myself, ah, I'll just stay out. I'll get in, get in the, you know, get in the schedule of things. But I forgot that I had to wake up at 630. Oh, God. To work with teenagers. Oh, no. So I had no sleep. So I get it. I, I'm going to do a terrible review of Triangle of Sadness right now because I'm dozing in and out. So you're absolutely right. I did. I had a hard time paying attention. Uh, uh, my brothers actually like my brother and his friend actually liked the movie more than I did because I walked out. I was like, I really did not like that movie. I would have cut 45 minutes off of that movie without any hesitation. Yes, maybe that's so. I my my default movie watching is your four Guinnesses a key lime pie and. <laughs> No, not four. There's more like nine. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's the baseline of how I watch every movie with that attitude. And I got to say, I was like dozing in and out of sleep like the next few hours. We were going on yeah, the train home. Yeah, of course you were. And uh, of course, my brother, who ate so much more than me, like he's really younger, in shape. Quite a bit younger. younger. And what are you going to do? You, you got to poop at the Stanford train station sometimes. <laughs> sometimes you got to do it. So now I wanted to just see what the landscape was. I kind of had to pee, so fine. I go in there and I, I go to the urinal. I watch him go into the, the to the stall, and seconds later, a two policemen come in here, fully armed policemen, <laughs> and they start banging on the stall next to my brother. Sir, you got to get out of there, sir. You got to get out of there. Banging on the stall. That's terrifying. There's a person passed out inside the stall, ah. and I just before I left. This is what I hear my brother say. He's like, I hope you're happy. Now I can't poop. And then <laughs> I leave the room. And then like, you know, 30 seconds later, he's out there suffering in the hallway. Uh-huh. Like, I can't do it. What yeah. is it? They're pulling this, you know. No, nah, I don't blame this- him. You got to have pristine conditions. I understand. <laughs> and it, it, he knew going in. He's like, I, I have no choice. I have to do this. This is not what I pictured for myself in my future. I have to go do this. And- How old is he? Even, no, if I give that away, right, I'll give away true. which that's brother true. it is. That's true. That's but, true. But uh, you're right; he's young, and he was. But, but, but no, what I was getting at there is he's he's is he turning like he's getting to the point where like when I was in my early 20s, right? When I was like mm-hmm. 22, 23, I was a big club guy. We'd go out to like New Haven right. all the time. Go out to nightclubs, dancing, all that. You mm-hmm. get to your point where you're like 25, and you're like, I can't do this anymore. And mm-hmm. more than that, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> so you like you you ease. You, it's not so much of an ease as it is like a water slide swiftly into old age. Yes. I, so I, I wonder if he's at that point in his life where it's like I, I used wonder... to be able to go out and drink all night and mm-hmm. eat whatever I wanted to when I was in my <laughs> early twenties. And then sometimes you get to a point where it's like I got to poop at the Stanford train station. <laughs> I wonder if this particular event finally put him over yeah. the edge. Yeah, I do too. That's what I'm wondering if this was his moment. <laughs> so, flash forward to the next day. Uh, I'm going to two screenings Sunday night, and I am racing to the train station. Like, mm-hmm. I am late. I had to work with kids all day. I am late, and I'm barely getting there, but I'm putting up good time. I'm literally getting changed in my car on the way in, at stoplights. Not responsible but Mm -hmm. responsible the most responsible way to be irresponsible that's me Mm -hmm. i literally grab my shirt my shirt my coat in one hand and i make sure i got phone wallet keys on me and i'm racing i'm running to the to the uh kiosk to buy my ticket because in my brain i can't buy a ticket on the train which was so dumb because i've 
I realize now that's only seven dollars more. I should have yeah. just gotten on a darn train. Of course. But here's where I realize I re- it's it's a good good story because it it told me something about myself. It told me that me and Han Solo have the same what? athletic ability. <laughs> what? Han Solo and I basically the same level of athlete Harrison Ford myself I'm Han Solo this is a Star Wars story because as the door is closing just like the blast doors on the Death Star as the door is closing I got two hands on my shirt and coat I got one hand on my wallet and and ticket from the that I just bought at the kiosk that's three hands I I basically leap Uh I leap into this closing door and get in just before without getting my coat st- caught in the closed door. <laughs> I'm Han Solo. You you said you had one you had two hands on your coat. You had one I had hand a, on your I wallet. had one hand on my coat and my I but perhaps this is slightly I was Goro from Mortal Kombat. <laughs> this might be an exaggeration in my own mind of my own athletic ability, but I was very proud of myself that I made this train. And Did then you I have jumped to on. Swap a uh, an Ark of the Covenant with a uh, pound of sand, like a, <laughs> a sack of sand, and then a big boulder I'm chase not, you down multiple cars. I'm not saying I could have avoided the boulder, <laughs> but I can jump through the blast doors in the Death Star. That's what I know Good. I can do. So I'm not uh, Indiana Jones, right? You he was a little younger, an no, intergalactic space cowboy. He was, was a sex he, symbol. That's right. <laughs> so. Uh, I get to the city. I'm texting Andrew Morgan, who I'm supposed to meet for Corsage. Of right. course, we're we're going to become two Fifi men. Unbelievable! In the, in the front row, in the front row, or the mm-hmm. front row of Corsage, and in between that, we're like, all right, let's meet at PJ Clark's. Of course, we will. Thank God he's a podcaster because I am housing this burger. I don't say a thing, and he's just monologuing. He's monologuing about his day, which I'm eager to hear about because he saw Till. Uh, he loved Danielle Deadwell. He, he saw uh, he saw something else that morning. Oh, Triangle of Sadness that morning, and you know he's talking to me where I I'm hilariously offering him fries in between fistfuls, just like I, I grab a fistful of fries. Oh, you want some fries? I wonder why he didn't take any. You're in your own bones and all remake with that burger. <laughs> uh, I just housed the burger in seconds because mm-hmm. we didn't have a lot of time. We got there like we had like 15 minutes. And uh, so we go back and, you know, we go back through. We interact the uh, scene from Moonstruck uh, at the at the fountains, of course, you know, reenact that. Yeah. And then, yeah, we're front row for Corsage, which is great. And. Q&A is, is, is uh, you know, we watched the movie. We liked the movie. We were laughing for the most part. I mean, it, you know, Matt Negley had it right. I saw him from across the room. I couldn't I couldn't, uh, couldn't say hi because we're both rushing to the next screening. But he's, you know, he, he writes pretty much immediately. The movie meanders a lot, and it does. Okay. Uh, but the movie ends with, like, a bang. Oh, my God. I should have just hijacked this beautiful question and answer section. I, I almost did. I was like, but, but hey, excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. What the fuck just happened? Because that just happened. Yeah. Also, Mike, 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 and Oscar. Uh, first question. <laughs> first. What first the fuck? Final question of my career. <laughs> what the fuck just happened at the end of that movie? Uh-huh. You ended the movie. Was it good? Way. Like, was it entertaining? I enjoyed this movie. It's just some of the best scenes, uh, my favorite scenes of the year. Beautiful music, obviously the costumes. I'm a Fifi man. You guys know this. Yeah, there's some lapses and some lags. I gave the movie like a B 
it's the worst movie to watch as a 39 year old man or the best <laughs> because her whole life is just like tumulting down a hill because she turned 40 in 1878 uh, 1878 austria and <laughs> you know it's just like the worst movie for a 39 year old but it, it's even funnier when i ask andrew about it because like andrew is like i can't decide i'm on the train home and we're doing a podcast basically we should have recorded it and i'm really like andrew sure, yeah. I cannot decide if that's the best movie about turning 40 or the worst. And he's just like, nah, it's all true, man. It's all true. It's all downhill you know, all from your there. Nightmares and the things you fear most in the deepest, darkest recesses of your mind, they come true. <laughs> he's giving me no solace whatsoever. This thing, I will never forget his face. I'm going to be blowing out the candles on my birthday cake. I will never forget his fucking face when he's like, nope, it's all going to happen. Just like that face. He gave the performance of the night. Vicky Creeps was gorgeous. Gorgeous in person. I'm standing two feet away from her in the front row there at Q&A. thinking of Andrew Morgan's face the whole time. And all I could think of is Andrew Morgan's face after he thought of turning 40 and what 40 has brought him since. All right, so that's my Sunday. Uh, Oh, I forgot, like, uh, by the way, in between, I I made a literal 10-minute stop. And I haven't had dessert like all year, but I was like, I need a coffee and I need a cheesecake. And I ate both because, oh no, because I got the the second movie, but I made the fastest cheesecake run ever. And in my brain, I'm saying, I got to make this fast cheesecake run because I'm walking Andrew to his, uh, because he doesn't know where the theater is for Descendant. So I'm Mm -hmm. walking him over there and we're Mm -hmm. we're rushing because the Q&A went like 40 minutes. It was supposed to go 10. Most of them go like 10. So this was like a 40-minute Q&A. Thank God I housed the burger beforehand. Yeah, but if you God. thought eating the burger was fast, you should have seen me eat the cheesecake. Seconds. Just gone. Poof. What Delicious. Kind of cheesecake? Just regular cheesecake. I was going to do the uh, strawberry, but I just got the regular plain and just the West Side Restaurant cheesecake. My God. I didn't even want to order a cappuccino. I usually go there and order a cappuccino, but I didn't want to do that because I thought it was going to be long. All I was this in is telling there. me. Mm-hmm. Is my my gait and my pace of walking has nothing to do you, with why I will never join you for New York Film Festival. You would have trouble. My yeah, stomach right. would explode. I would be throw. I would be vomiting into the microphone during the Q and A. Thank God my digestive system is still working. And I'm not a small guy. I'm like, like I'm a large human being. You're a big dude. Who can You're eat. a big dude. You're a big dude. You would just poop on the street. You would just be like, it would just like be fern. Yes. And I'd be, I'd be, I would be the guy from what from uh, Bridesmaids. I'd be you I'd would be, be uh, Maya, Maya Rudolph. Yeah, and, and you know, just as long as you know what's coming, <laughs> you'll be okay. It's not like Triangle of Sadness. And everybody's just <laughs> and having to sit through three hour non English movies. <laughs> so it's even weirder because I go to Master Gardener, which is Paul Schrader, yeah. the writer of Goodfellas. And Taxi Driver and the director of First Reformed and The Card Counter. And, of course, Master Gardener starring Joel Edgerton and Sigourney Weaver has an Anchorman We Just Had Sex fantasy cutaway. Mm-hmm. I freaking love you. <laughs> There's a cutaway like that. Exactly like that. In between mostly gardening sequence and sequences and neo-Nazi flashbacks. That's all you need to know about that movie, Master Gardener. <laughs> Just the weirdest friggin' thing. Just so, just like, what is he doing? I I don't know. And they they open it up with like, there's not going to be a Q and A. 
Paul Schrader had to go home. <laughs> Schrader hates all of you. <laughs> he had to go home to upstate New York. Schrader he wasn't would rather ghost. stare at it's, his cat than he would answer eight, a question from any of you. <laughs> it's 8.30 at night. Mm. The man had to get home. I can respect that, actually. Like, there's... <laughs> Again, with be, being getting older, there's a time and a place where I'm just like I, I don't care about obligations or things I've promised other people. I I need to be sitting in my chair in my bed. Other than that, everybody, you know, reporting from these fresh festivals are liars. So that's because, what I was going to ask is the big finale here. Like, yeah. obviously, the most important part of you going to the New York Film Festival is keeping track of the unofficial official film festival standing ovation record keeping here. Did you have any of note? There was no applause over 40 seconds, period. Wow. End of story. Well, I guess we know why Variety and The Hollywood Reporter have such vastly different times. They're just lying. <laughs> now, I hope this is because the New York Film Festival is like, yeah, these movies are okay. And New Yorkers <laughs> are not going to do that. And that's a New Yorker thing. Wait, you think New York, you think the audience is taking it upon themselves to be like, fuck this. <laughs> but I tell you, I got to tell you. Last year's Tatan was just blew my mind because the Tatan ends the way it ends, and you're just like, mm-hmm. but the New York crowd was like, <laughs> just hanging from the We're chandeliers. Sick too. We're sick too. <laughs> Woodstock '99 levels of friggin' pageantry in that crowd, going nuts. People ripping off their shirts, exposing their steel wire cut bras, chest bumping each other. Lunacy, pure lunacy. Th- that one, I forget what it went for, but that was several minutes worth. But no, 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 no huge, uh, no huge standing O's yet. I'm waiting for Tar. Like Tar, Tar could be the one. Mm-hmm. We'll and you're see. seeing what Tar and which tonight? Scarlet tonight, and then this weekend I'm seeing uh, After Sun, followed by Bones and All, followed by One Fine Morning, followed by Decision to Leave, and then Sunday I'm seeing uh, RMN. And uh, Ennismen, which is a Welsh horror movie and apparently the a movie from Romania that has the craziest ending of the year. Hmm. So I'm pretty excited. I don't know if you sold anyone on the New York Film Festival. <laughs> 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 minutes, but uh, I do know that uh, it was entertaining. And if you want to keep Good. up with the, uh, the food selections and the pairings that Mike is going to have with those movies, including the Bones and All selection, <laughs> will he go with the ribs? Will he go with the rare raw meat burger? Uh, let it, be, be sure take to the be steak following tartar, us. tartare, please. The <laughs> steak, <laughs> take the human tartar. flesh tartare. Yeah. Be sure to be keeping up with us on our social medias at Oscar Mike done a great job of keeping everyone in the loop there uh michael <laughs> what an episode what an ending <laughs> i'm 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 happy and saddened for you at the same time <laughs> let's have some uh some words of wisdom here and let's tell people what's coming next from us well it's just why it's obviously is wise to eat as much as possible before and drink as much as possible before seeing all those films. Of course, that is the way mm-hmm. to seek out the objectivity we all believe we can find. <laughs> and uh, the subjectivity, forget about it. Just let's all those you know healthy ways that film critics talk about subjectivity and the movie watching experience. Nope, I disagree. <laughs> this is how to do it. And this is how to achieve what we all hope to achieve. Let the fullness uh, of your stomach dictate your enjoyability of every movie. <laughs> what's coming next? Oscar's checkpoints. Uh, and then, yeah, we'll br- begin our five episode film study series on Lyle Lyle Crocodile. 
Or or we'll pivot and review Halloween Ends next yes. week. One of those two things. Yes. <laughs> One or the other. We haven't decided which yet, guys. As always, what matters most to us. I did this out of order. That's my fault. Uh, right. Your thoughts, comments, questions, and concerns. We want to know about anything we did in this episode or anything we cover here in the MMO Empire. If you're that curious to know what Mike does, I am curious to know what you do end up pairing with Bones and all. So you have to you have to make sure to post that. Okay. Uh, follow us on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcast or Spotify app, if you enjoy what we do, if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, those help us out immensely. They will enable Mike to afford <laughs> another slice of cheesecake on the go. And that's the only reason he can afford those is with five-star reviews. So by you not right. reviewing us for five stars, you're robbing this man of his on-the-go cheesecake. <laughs> and quite frankly, that you're going to get the film, the film review you deserve if you do that. It was like a six-and-a-half-minute stop. Cheesecake and coffee, please. Bring me my cheesecake and coffee. I had to actually, the longest I had to wait there was actually waiting for the check. (laughs) Good. Good. A perfect ending to a perfect night. Uh, When reality sucks, you can come pair the New York Film Festival with some delectable entrees with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you all very soon. See ya.